Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges by looking at Judges chapter 6. As we have looked at several of the early stories in the book of Judges, we've seen the challenge that God gave to his people to drive out the enemy or drive out evil from their midst. God was concerned with purity for his people. In our time, when we talk about purity and eliminating sin from our own lives, we often feel like we're unable. But as we look at chapter 6 in this episode, I think we'll see that God sees us as very able and capable of doing the things that he calls us to do. This chapter is a lengthy reading, so I'll break it into sections. We'll start by reading verses 1 through 10. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppress you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. In this first section of scripture, we see Israel at a very low point. But in this case, and in every case that we'll look at in this chapter, God sees the best in his people and knows what they're capable of doing. And God knows that his people are capable of humbling themselves. As he rehearses their history with them, he reminds them of a time when they were humble before him, when they realized that they needed his help. They didn't think that they were the masters of their own destiny. As he looks at their circumstances, he knows that they've been humbled by the king of Midian. These people feared the Midianites and subjected themselves to their king and to their gods. The first thing Israel needed to come to grips with is that they should be fearing God, not their enemies. God was the one that had the power to overcome all of their circumstances, and they need to humble themselves before him and not the Midianites. 
Israel here cries out to God at their lowest point. And we often do the same thing. When things are going well, we're tempted to think that it's because of what we're doing and that we're accomplishing something on our own. And we tend to forget that God is playing a role in that. And we only cry out to him when we hit our low points. But what we see in this section of the story is that God works in the humble. In verse 6, it says, Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and they cried out to the Lord. It was at this point that God was able to do his most effective work in Israel because they were open to that work, and they were open to following his leading. They had humbled themselves before God. Now let's read verses 11 through 27. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Aphra, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring up my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord my God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Aphra, which belongs to the Abizrites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. 
This section is fascinating because of the appearance of the angel of the Lord. This angel of the Lord appears to several different characters in the Old Testament. And when he speaks, he speaks the very words of God. And so very often as we're reading it, the narrative goes back and forth between the angel of the Lord speaking and God speaking, the angel of the Lord being present the Lord being present, because the angel of the Lord is a messenger of God delivering a direct message from God. And in this section, as the Lord is speaking through this angel, we see more characteristics that God sees in his people that they often don't see in themselves. The first one I notice is that God sees that we are able to endure discipline. In verse 13, Gideon asks, if the Lord is with us, where is he? We keep hearing that the Lord brought us out of Egypt and did mighty things, but it seems the Lord has forsaken us now and given us into the hand of Midian. What we know from reading the book of Judges is that Midian being able to do this was something that God was allowing to discipline his people. Now, very often when we use that word discipline, we think of punishment, but discipline in scripture is used in in the sense of training, being disciplined, uh, learning to be better at what you do. An athlete will endure discipline, training to work their muscles and to learn techniques that help them to be successful in their chosen field. Because Israel had refused to fight all of the battles God had given them to fight. There were enemies left among them, and God used those enemies to teach Israel things about his power, about his ability to work in and through them, and to teach them what they were capable of. God knew that they could withstand this discipline, so he allowed it to happen. In Hebrews chapter 12, The writer there tells us that when God allows that to happen, he's treating us like his own children. We can think back to raising our children as they get to a certain age and we've taught them all that we know to teach them and we've given them good advice. They don't always listen to it. And so we let them experience things on their own. We let them make their own decisions. And when their bad decision has negative consequences. We're there to help them out of those consequences, but we can't stop the consequences from happening. They learn from them. And that's what God is doing with his people, Israel here, and what he does with us, because he knows that with his help, with his strength and power, we can endure that discipline. Another thing that we see in this section is that God knows And God sees that I am able to be valiant. It's interesting here that Gideon is hiding in a wine press trying to thresh his grain. He's having to do that because all the surrounding nations are coming in after Israel has their harvest and stealing their crops. They're letting Israel do all of the work, and then they're coming and taking the food. And so Gideon is hiding from these people that he's scared of. And as he's hiding, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The angel of the Lord tells Gideon that he's valiant. The valiant is a word that means to be brave or courageous, heroic, fearless, noble, bold. 
We don't always feel that way, and certainly Gideon didn't feel that way as he's hiding in a wine press. But God saw that he was able to be valiant, and he sends a messenger to let him know just that. In our case, God has sent a messenger to us to let us know something very similar. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Timothy and told Timothy to make sure that he understood and passed on to others the fact that God had given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As disciples of Christ, people who have given our lives to Jesus, we've been promised a gift of a Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is not one that causes us to fear or to be timid, but is one of power. And it's one that enables us to love anyone, including our enemies. And it is a spirit that enables us to control ourselves, to to not give in to our selfish desires and the evils of sin. We can be valiant warriors in the fight that goes on within ourselves with good versus evil, with good decisions over bad decisions. We can make the right choices and withstand the consequences of that because we are valiant warriors. In addition to what Paul says to Timothy, Paul writes to a church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and he's explaining to them that he has prayed to God to remove his thorn in the flesh. And over and over again, God's response to Paul is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yes, when we look at ourselves, we see the weakness, but God sees the strength when we allow ourselves to be used by him. We can be valiant, courageous warriors for God when we choose to let him work through us. We also see in this section that God is able to see that we can be at peace. We don't have to always be in turmoil in our lives. I know a lot of people who live that way. They almost seem to thrive off of the internal conflict and the strife that goes on, the the dealing with the negativity in their circumstances and, and reacting to everything that they see as being bad. It very often creates anxiety in their lives, and it's perpetuated because they feed that anxiety rather than seeking the peace that God has promised. If you remember in Gideon's story, as the angel of the Lord has disappeared and Gideon is convinced that he has seen the angel of the Lord face to face, his fear is that he is going to die. And God tells him that he should be at peace and he should not fear because he's not going to die. When Jesus came and was carrying out his earthly ministry, he said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. God knows that we're able to be at peace if we're connected with his son. His son has already brought peace between mankind and God. The world tries to trouble us. But if we live the life that Jesus has given us to live, there's no reason to be anxious. We can live at peace. And one more thing in this section that I think is worthy of noting. In verses 25 and 26, the Lord came to Gideon at night and gave him instruction 
about how to tear down the altars to Baal and Ashtoreth and reclaim them and make an altar to God and to offer a sacrifice to God in that place. Because God knew that Gideon was able to submit to God's will. God did not give Gideon something he could not do. Now, Gideon was fearful of how that might play out. So he did it at night instead of during the day. And certainly we need to develop the courage where we do the things that God wants us to in the light of day. But God knows that we can submit our will to his. He never asks us to do things that we cannot do. He promises us to be with us and to supply the power needed to accomplish what he has commanded us. So when God says, love your enemy, It's not something impossible. It's not something that's an ideal that we should aspire to. It is something we can accomplish with his power. And in the same way that submission to God for Gideon meant getting rid of the idols in his life, in our lives, we need to be willing to get rid of the idols that have taken up resident in our heart. An idol is anything that drives our decision-making. It could be power or the desire for more money, or the desire for a relationship, when those things are driving how we make our decisions so that we can acquire that thing instead of a relationship with God, we've displaced God in our hearts and have set up an idol. When God is driving all of our decision-making, He is truly the Lord of our lives. God knows that we're able to submit to His will. He just leaves it to us to decide if we're going to do so. In Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Too many of us try to have a split allegiance. There are things in the world that we aspire to, and and we let take up a lot of our time and energy. And often those things are working against what God wants for us in our lives and not for his purposes. And even when we are trying to submit to God's will, we're often very much like Gideon in that we try to hide that from the rest of the world. We're afraid of how they'll react or what they might say or how that might affect some aspect of our current lives. But just as Gideon will find out, if you are doing the Lord's work, it cannot be hidden. God will use you in a way that will bring honor and glory to his name. Let's read the next section of this chapter. I'm going to read verses 28 through 35. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerobel, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. 
Now all the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers through all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. As we continue to look at Gideon's story, we see another aspect of our lives that God sees very clearly that we don't often notice, and that is that we are able to lead others. Verse 34 says, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and that allowed him to send out a call for soldiers, and he was able to lead them into battle. God knows that we are able to lead others. People will follow those that are led by God. They will see things in their life that they want to imitate, they want to copy. People will follow those who are led by God. God has asked all his followers to be fishers of men, to go out and make disciples. God would not ask us to do what we could not deliver. We can only deliver it through the power of his might, but we can be leaders of others. And there's one more section in this chapter that I would like for us to cover quickly. Uh, Verse 36 through 40 says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed out the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. This section may cause us to question uh, exactly how do we receive a sign from God and how do we read those signs and when are we testing God versus asking for a sign. But I think the thing we need to come away with here is that I am able to verify God's will in my life. It may not be with a fleece every time. Sometimes it's just listening to things that God's already said. If you remember the story of King Saul, he reached a point where he thought God wasn't talking to him. And when he summoned the spirit of Samuel, Samuel let him know it's not that God has not spoken to you. It's that you're ignoring the things that he's already said. But we are able to verify God's will in our life most often and most easily through the words he's already spoken. So you can see that God sees in us much more than we often see in ourselves. Will we allow him to do his work in us, allow his Holy Spirit to guide us and make us the people he's always intended us to be? Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.